0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Black Soul Music Experience. I'm your DJ and host, Sam Wilson Jr., as I bring you the history of Black music, gospel, jazz, blues, old-school classic soul, old-school hip-hop, today's hip-hop and R&B, Caribbean, Latin, Afrobeat, Afro-Latina, Blue-Eyed Soul, disco, Go-Go, Lion Dances, and the Lost 45s. So come with me as I take you on a trip to the history of Black music, right now on the Black Soul Music Experience. I'm Sam Wilson Jr., and this is the Black Soul Music Experience Podcast. On this episode, I had a privilege to interview my guest. Now, this lady who I am about to introduce to you was working for CBS, which is now Viacom CBS Paramount, and she worked in the photo department for over 16 years. By 2018 to 2019, Viacom came back home for the second time, resulted in mass layoffs and buyouts. Now, there's something she shared with me, and I'm on LinkedIn, and I saw her on LinkedIn. And that's when she had told me that before she had worked for CBS, she was a singer back then. She was in a group and later did solo albums, which is now available on iTunes. And she also shared with me that her grandfather was in a Latin band back in the early 60s. I'm thrilled that I had a chance to talk with her and I hope you enjoyed this interview too as I bring you my special guest, Miss Stephanie Seskin. Welcome to the Black Soul Music Experience. I'm Sam Wilson Jr. and I have a very special guest on my podcast episode and I've known her at CBS for 16 years at the photo department. I have known so many others that she has worked with. She worked with Megan McLaughlin and Heather Wines and Gail Plouts and Mary Cow, and Catherine Holloway and John Philo, just to name a few. Now, I've been at CBS for many, many years. I have not only I've known Gail Plouts, but I've known some others, including Vicki Zorn and Robin Goldfarb and Susan Ayer, just to name a few. But there is something that I didn't know about. She's also a singer. And I was looking through the resume and I said, wow, she did a lot before she came to CBS. So without further ado, it is my honor, it is my pleasure to bring you my guest on the Black Soul music experience podcast ladies and gentlemen i bring you miss stephanie seskin hi stephanie how are you
1: i'm good sam thank you for having me
0: welcome to my podcast it's a pleasure to have you here you know i've been struggling to get somebody on my podcast since i first started it back in 2021 it wasn't easy it was off to a slow start, but now since I've got you on my podcast, I said, let me reach out to you and we want to know more about you.
1: Great. Well, thank you. I'm glad, I'm glad to be here. I really appreciate it.
0: Now tell me where are you originally from?
1: Um, I am originally myself, uh, from New Jersey, Jersey girl. Um, my parents were immigrants. Um, well, their parents were immigrants, but you know they were born in New York City. Um, and I spent my entire adult life in the New York metro area after college. Well, I went to college in California, and then I was studying music and decided I was very, very punk rock at the time. And I was in a band out there, and I decided, well, I don't need to go to college to study music. I'm just going to move to New York City and do music. So uh, I quit. I ended up going back later, but um, played in so many different bands. Um, But, yeah, I I was born and raised in New Jersey, but most of my life was in New York City or out, you know, in boroughs or Hudson County, New Jersey.
0: Now, who who were your relatives uh, that were in the band? You're sharing something with me that uh, it was Machito and his Afro Cubans. Was that correct?
1: Yes, that was my grandfather. He was a horn player. Uh, Machito, I don't know if you're familiar with who and what he is, but he was responsible pretty much for bringing Latin jazz to America and his band, like they weren't all Cuban. So my grandfather was actually born in Montserrat, but lived on the island of St. Kitts before coming to the United States. And um, I love hearing stories from my mother about how he would play with his band in Harlem, and she would go to the show with her sisters and just dance, and all the boys would buy them drinks, Yeah, crazy stuff, and uh, my my parents lived this wild life, Bohemian. uh, She told me this story one night um, after a show. Somebody was hanging out with them at their table, and um, my father was driving him home, and he turned to my mother and said, what are you doing with this guy? He was trying to pick her up, and it was Miles Davis. So yeah, that was a time period. I also have a cousin who is from St. Kitts, Um, he moved to Canada, he recently passed away, which is very sad, Um, he was a keyboard player, played the St. Kitts Jazz Festival many, many times, his name is Bruce Scarrett, right, my grandfather's name is Freddie Scarrett. And then one of my cousins, Martell, who also passed away was a fantastic bassist, very big in the punk scene in the 80s and 90s and 2000s, Um, and there's just a lot of artists and stuff like that in my family, so I definitely come from an artistic family.
0: <laughs> now, your grandfather, was that on your father's side or was it on your mother's side that appeared in uh, Machito and they... Oh, okay, because every time when I be at Harlem Week, which I'm originally from, I'm originally from Harlem, but I, I live in the Bronx. I've been living in the Bronx for now 53 years, but I've always, uh, always visit Harlem because I still have my cousins and my relatives are still living in Harlem. And uh, yes, but I do have a family that is all around New York City, some living here in the Bronx and the rest. Uh, Brooklyn and Queens and the rest, um, some that were born here in the NYC, they had moved to the New England states, some had moved to Connecticut and Massachusetts, and one lives in upstate New York, somewhere around Orange and Sullivan County, and the rest is in Jersey. And the rest of my uh, cousins on my late father's side of the family, which is his his father's um, relatives, uh, some have um, are from South Carolina, so I come from a lineage of uh, the ministry, the media, education, and politics. And one of my um, relatives had once worked in the media, and yes, some are in the music business as well. So, as you mentioned, Machito and his Afro Cubans, you know, every August I go to Harlem Week on West One Hundred and Thirty Fifth Street, and they have this. Harlem Week Walk of Fame—that is between Seventh um, Avenue and Eighth Avenue—and I'll be walking down on on the block, and I see, hey, that's a plaque, Machito, and it's afro Cuban. So I said, "I
1: didn't know that. Wow! Mm-hmm. Shame on me for not visiting that when I lived in the area. I live in Delaware now.
0: Yes." Oh, I need to
1: tell my mother this. She would. She doesn't know. She grew up in Harlem. Um, and there were 10 of them <laughs> in a small apartment. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was, her stories are amazing. You know, the depression and, um, racism, mixed race, family, all different colors and the things that she faced and her sisters faced, cause they all looked different, you know? Um, but the music brought everybody together back then in Harlem.
0: Now, uh, well, you, your parents were biracial because when everybody look at you, you know, they probably think, who are you? Are you are you like light skinned, black or Latino? You know, since you mentioned that, you know, there's always been a problem. You know, you just brought that up a few minutes ago. You know, with our society with racism and it's what has happened back then is still happening today. So have you been affected by that?
1: Well, I, you know, I cannot tell you how many times people have said to me, "What are you?" <laughs> yeah, so I, I I have gotten that my whole life, and um, yes, I'm mixed race. Uh, By Rachel, the thing about the West Indies is that everybody's so mixed up to begin with that I don't identify as biracial. I just um, <laughs> When people ask me, what are you? I just say mixed race, (laughs) you know.
0: Yes, and yeah, that's something we all have to deal with. Now, who were your favorite musicians growing up as a kid?
1: Oh, that's, I just absorbed everything. Like even, if one of my friends marvels at the fact that she'll be remember that show blah blah remember that commercial that's that when we were little and i'll start singing the jingle <laughs> she just her mouth drops so even like okay so stuff on tv but also my parents had a huge music collection so i grew up listening to everything from the beatles to sly in the family stone to elton john to Uh, War, Country Joe and the Fish, you know, we didn't really listen to jazz in the house, um, which is unfortunate. Uh, A lot of funk and soul and Motown. I have a sister who's 12 years older than me who had Motown records and would play them constantly. And then as I got older, I kind of started listening to other stuff like, you know, classic rock, Led Zeppelin, Yes, uh, Genesis, uh, the police, uh, yeah, but, but I always fall back on Motown and funk, like I love slime the Family Stone, They're, I love bands with horns and those crazy arrangements, you know, and then later on I started getting into other types of funk like Cameo and Parliament Funkadelic, but at the same time then I'm listening to Queen Latifah and TLC when they first came out and punk rock, and.
0: Just, I sort of dabbled in everything. <laughs> yeah, cause same thing here. Cause me growing up, you know, when my late mother would usually drop me off at her parents' house, my maternal grandparents, um, all three of them, when they came from Virginia. They once lived on East 168th Street between Fulton and Third Avenue in the Bronx where the Third Avenue L rolls by. So she drops me off at my grandparents' house my late grandfather had some motown he had some Stax records that includes the isaac hayes lp which he had the isaac hayes movement so i got exposed to it because when you you hear it you know he starts rapping or talking and then sex way into a song his his format is like four songs too long and then he start getting some, some Atlantic records because back then it was jazz and soul r and before it started branching out you know, to some pop and then and, and yes, soft rock and other things. And then I've been dropped off at my maternal aunt's apartment in the Bronx where she played gospel music all day. Everything from James Cleveland to Shirley Caesar to all the gospel quartets and then dropped me off at one of her friends. And I was listening to some Philly International and some TK records from Miami. And when I was went to private school back in the early 70s on the Upper West Side, um, we had this music teacher. So we was listening to some other music. We was listening to uh, The Three Dog Night and Olivia Newton-John. And some other things, and and then when I was, you know, when my mom got remarried to my stepfather, who is Jamaican, you know, I got exposed to Caribbean music. And when my mom and I moved, I I that too. Mm-hmm. totally
1: got into that at one point. I wish that we played jazz in my
0: house because I started playing the flute
1: at the age of nine, and I was classically trained, and. You know later on in life when I decided I was I used to write a lot of songs from the time I was a child At least just lyrics, you know, and then I learned guitar and started putting basic rudimentary music to it Um, But eventually I formed my own band. It was kind of late in life for a band and I just started writing and writing and writing and lots and lots of songs and you know the, the guys in the band were like well you should play your flute you've been playing since you were nine years old like play flute solo do this do that and i'd be like but i can't solo i need the sheet music because <laughs> <laughs> i never studied jazz but then you know i just did it i risked it and i'm like that's not a note and they're like there's no wrong notes you know and then i just eventually was able to improvise and solo thanks to my band you know, but I wish I had listened to jazz growing up because yeah it would have happened faster
0: <laughs> now you brought up uh, the group and um, I wanted to ask you about the group that you're in called blue number nine now who came up with the name blue number nine and how did the group or the band got started
1: okay well the group got started because I I was going to school I was going to college to get my master's degree and working a corporate job and this song popped into my head and I went home and recorded it and thought I got to start a band. So it was my idea and I put out ads and I got people together and um right, it was like, what are we going to call ourselves? So. This is really stupid, but I used to play soccer when I was a kid and I was always number nine and my teams in college and in you know high school and in elementary school were always blue. <laughs> so I'm like blue number nine. <laughs> you know, I found one of my old jerseys and it was like blue never dies. So that was the name. The band actually ended. We were together for fifteen years. We toured, we put out four studio CDs and one live CD. Um, the studio CDs, the first one was done in a analog recording studio. But then after that, um, we were like, well, let's just record them ourselves. And um, my ex and I, at the time, basically built a recording studio in the basement with cables running through the walls so that I could sit upstairs at my computer and engineer while the band was downstairs recording. So our second, third, and fourth album, and I also put out a solo CD, were recorded by me. I got online and read books about positioning microphones and, you know, what are the best microphones for a horn section, what are the best mics for singers, and, it just kind of figured it out. And, um, you know, I've had criticism. Well, I don't like the mixing. Well, you know, it's this, is that. And i like, well, I get it myself. Like, I did the best. For me doing it on my own without spending a ton of money, it sounds pretty good. And I'm proud of it. So yeah, we were together for 15 years. And then, um, eventually I got very burned out and, you know, we did everything ourselves. We booked our own gigs. We planned our own tour dates, you know, the tour schedule. And you had mentioned CBS, all those people who you mentioned throughout the years were so supportive of my music. That was a difficult job. You know, I, I, sometimes I had a hard time, but those people were wonderful. They came to my gigs. I was like, I have a gig. I can't work. And Gail was like, no problem. It was great. Yeah. And But then it ended. And then after that, I kind of took a hiatus, relaxing. I was in a Zydeco band for a while, singing lead in New York. Um, that band was based out of Jersey City. Hmm. I played I joined this band called Buzz Universe, um, which was a lot of fun because I picked up saxophone and in that band I just played sax and flute and sang backup vocals. So it was very chill, like I wasn't responsible for everything. You know, it's very stressful leading a band, especially when you're not signed or have management or any of that. Um, so that was nice. Buzz Universe was fun. We did some little tours here and there. Yeah. And then my my last uh, musical endeavor was, um, I was playing music for seniors, but then COVID hit. Um, and yeah, I, I moved to Delaware because um, CBS Viacom took over and there were huge layoffs and stuff. And so, you know, I've been trying to find my footing here in Delaware. It's quite different than New York City. And um, there's a band I'm actually going to uh, play with tomorrow. And you know, it's a cover band, but I like the tunes they do. They do funk, <laughs> you know, they do Motown. You know, I could be singing 25 miles. <laughs> I got 25 you know, give me the B-boy. There's a lot of good songs. Um, so that's my trajectory
0: now you did mention your group blue number nine and of course you did mention that you've been with the group for 15 years so you know the old saying well i've been watching vh1's behind the music and tv1's on song when you see everyone you know get burned out or maybe in some other groups it might say that the singer have did a lot but the others didn't get the cut, you know, when it comes to money issues and, you know, management and, and things like that. So
1: I made sure I didn't make any money. I made sure everybody else went home with money in their pocket. I gave everybody part of the publishing, whether they wrote the songs or not. As long as they were in the band, if when our CDs went into profit mode, they got a cut. I was very fair about that. Um, With our original keyboard player, there was a cable station based out of Jersey City, and there was a music festival, a street festival, long time ago, back when Jersey City was coming up. It wasn't up yet. And they had this street fair and we played, and um, they ended up using one of our songs as the opening and closing. To the opening and closing credits of their episode about the street fair. And at the time ASCAP was like collect, like letting artists send videos and recordings and stuff to prove that, you know, their music was used in not the typical way that ASCAP distributes royalties. So like cable TV shows. And um, I got, like, a big chunk of money from ASCAP. And even though the keyboard player who co-wrote the song with me and another woman who co-wrote the song with me hadn't been in the band for years, I reached out to them and sent them a check. (laughs) So that's how I roll. We never had those kind of problems. Never.
0: Wow, that's very interesting. And, And, you know... Like you just said, you know, make sure that everyone gets paid, and you know what's fair is fair. That's very true.
1: And then it keeps them happy, and it keeps them motivated. Like, you know, I, I, I don't mean mean to poop my own horn, but I, I was a really good band leader and a good manager because I understand that when you keep people happy, they want to do it. It was my music, you know, and. I also am of the philosophy that if okay, if they are in a room with a bunch of musicians, right, and somebody plays a riff and then somebody goes, ooh, and starts singing a melody because they're inspired by the riff and then everybody goes their own separate ways and the person with the melody suddenly writes lyrics to it because really the melody and the, and the, and the words and the hook are the song, right? A bunch of chords, it's not a song. It's just a bunch of chords without a melody. I mean, there don't have to be words because there are instrumentals without a melody and hook, there's no song. But because we were all in the room together and that guy played that riff, it inspired me to come up with a melody and lyrics. Therefore, it's a co write and we split it 50 50. that's the way i see it anyone in the room gets a cut (laughs) because if you were because if it had been if they all hadn't been in the room maybe i wouldn't have thought of it you know
0: what i mean yeah that is very true all right we're going to take a quick break and we'll come right back to chat with more with my friend and colleague my former CBS co-worker, Ms. Stephanie Seskin. I'm going to be asking her some other things, and we'll let you know. And we're going to be right back. You're listening to the Black Soul Music Experience. I'm Sam Wilson, Jr., and I just want to say thank you for tuning in to my music podcast, the Black Soul Music Experience podcast, where I bring you the history of Black music gospel, jazz, blues, old-school classic soul, old-school hip-hop, today's hip-hop and R&B, Caribbean, Latin, Afrobeat, Afro-Latina, Blue-Eyed Soul, disco, go-go, line dances, and the Lost 45s. This year, it's going to be different, where I'm going to be doing all the talking, and i'll be bringing you more artist profile birthdays and i finally got some special guests to be on my podcast so in order for me to continue then i need your help please subscribe go to anchor.fm/samuel-wilson-junior/subscribe and please support my podcast go to anchor.fm forward slash samuel dash wilson jr forward slash support and keep listening to the black soul music experience podcast every tuesdays available on apple spotify google amazon music iHeartRadio, radio or wherever you get your podcast thank you for your support welcome back to the black soul music experience i'm sam wilson jr and I'm here with my special guest, Miss Stephanie Seskin, my friend and colleague from back in the day at CBS, and she is a singer and songwriter and many other things. So where we left off at, we was gonna get to your solo career, and I found some things on Spotify and on YouTube. Now, how many solo albums that you had uh, performed?
1: Well, the first one was actually um, Blue Number Nine decided to just record everything that we hadn't recorded yet, right? So it was actually enough songs for two albums, but um, the co producer and I were like, well, maybe Stephanie should just do a solo album because this collection of songs is a little not quite Blue Number Nine y. So the first one that I put out was that, right? So like, um, uh, let's find a way Was Blue Number Nine's last CD and my CD, um, The Edge of Reason, all that music was recorded around the same time with the same musicians, et cetera. So that was my first one. And then I didn't do anything for years. So COVID happened and i couldn't find a job i'm living in these people's house in this room and i just suddenly started kind of writing music a lot different than what i'd done in the past because it's all electronic i don't have musicians now you know i'm not living in new york i don't have a studio (laughs) i'm in my room so i just started throwing things together and i'd play them for the people whose house i was staying in and oh that's cool and then i I was actually using megan's adobe account and putting little videos together and showing them the videos and before i knew it they were like you know you have enough songs to put out a a record and i was like oh (laughs) yeah you're right so i figured yeah why not and i just did and then um i wrote some more so i put out an ep and then the couple that i was staying with they were they had their anniversary and yeah it's kind of broke so i was like well i'll write you guys a song for your anniversary and by that time now i'm listening to bluegrass music i never liked bluegrass It had a connotation that didn't sit well with me and the type of dancing you know i like to dance and move my hips and blue dance was all jumping up and down whatever but I gained an appreciation for it to the point where I even bought myself a violin, started learning how to play. still have it, and I'm still working on it. It's a very hard instrument, so this couple they love bluegrass, and the 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 husband loves saxophone, so I wrote them a song and I released that as a single,
0: yeah now i did find uh, a couple of your uh, cds that was on on itunes and i downloaded a couple of them and i have used them you know for my episode you know from from season two i was doing an episode on local musicians that represents the new york new jersey and connecticut area so i came up with that idea because me listening back in the 80s when CBS FM had the New York Music Weekend. You had musicians from the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area. And then when 98.7 Kiss FM came around, they too were doing local musicians. So I decided like pick it up where they left off at. So I, I got a chance to listen to your music and it was very interesting.
1: And I had some great musicians, man. The bass player could way. I found horn players who, like all the people I worked with, well not all of them, some of them from other countries moved back to the country that they came from or the state that they came from and had kids and all that. One woman who was a backup singer for a while ended up playing Elphaba in Wicked like on Broadway. You know, I had really good people and I feel very blessed that I was able to find them and work with them. And yeah, so there were a lot of great players from the New York area, for sure, especially the horns. Oh my gosh, those people would come in to a recording session. We would slap sheet music in front of them and they would just play. And then I would be, you know, I told you, I would be sitting upstairs on my computer while they're down in the basement. And I'm like, okay, solo. And they would just blow these solos that perfect, you know, one take, yeah.
0: Now, since we talked about earlier, now since the band have broken up and you know y'all you gotten regular jobs and things like that, do you keep in touch with some of the band members if they're still around or if they deceased?
1: Um, uh, yeah, uh, a couple uh, percussionists and a, one of the backup singers who I loved so much recently deceased. She was only in her forties and um. And, uh, yeah, one of our guitar players is deceased. Um, But we were all in touch before they passed, thanks to Facebook. And some of them I'm not in touch with. I don't know what happened with them. Some of them I'm friends with on Facebook, but I'll tell you right now. And again, I'm not bragging, but, you know, some of them aren't doing music anymore. And they're like, you know what, Stephanie, you were like the best band leader. It's really hard for me to join another band. (laughs) Um, but they all have fond memories. Like we had a blast touring and, you know, I, I posted some old pictures on Facebook and tag them and yes. So in answer to your question, yes, I am in touch with a lot of them. We had a lot of turnover, a lot of changes. New York is a very, can be a very transient place to come and go. So it's a huge, you know, I still have the old band website up and there's, I, I'm glad I kept it up. Um, and there's a history section, and it goes through the entire history of all the people who were in the band and when and what happened.
0: Now, uh, since you were doing your solo albums, who were your musical influences who had inspired you?
1: So the solo stuff? Yes. Are you talking about the the early release or the current releases?
0: Um, the current releases. Okay,
1: yeah. So I don't know if you've listened to any of that stuff, but definitely an electronica influence going on there, electronic music. Um I started going to music festivals later in life, but not the conventional ones, more kind of off the beaten path festivals and heard a lot of cool stuff. There's a, this band called Dopapod who I really like. band called Umphreys McGee. Um, Escort, really great band. That, that woman is so good. She sings, she plays bass. So sort of like this funky, electronic, weird style sort of influenced me on the recent stuff. And then again, the Bluegrass song was this, this great band out plays Bluegrass called Cabinet. I mean, there's all these artists. They're they're like second tier, third tier, you know. They're not, oh, there's this great band called Lettuce. You know, they get their songs placed here and there, but they're not like superstar major sellers, but they are in their living playing music, and I've seen a lot of them perform at these music festivals, the Disco Biscuits. (laughs) Yeah, so, I mean, I'm naming bands that you've probably never heard of, but. There's a lot of good stuff out
0: there. Now, here's the next question I wanted to ask you. Now, living or dead, which performer did you wish you wanted to perform with or to work with?
1: Prince. (laughs) Enough said. Prince.
0: (laughs) Oh, Prince. Oh, okay, because... Um, uh, my, my CBS, uh, colleague, Tanya Durham, she's a huge Prince fan. And I did an episode back in June of, you know, last month, uh, during black music month and Prince was born in the month of June. So when she approached me in season one of last year, she said, you gotta do Prince, you gotta do Prince. I said, save that for season two. You know, I'm just trying to get my feet wet you know you know i'm trying to do black music month i'm trying to give a shout out to all of our black record labels so i want to get started and let america know about you know who's your favorite artist and record record label they were on so i i got her input so i said
1: Stevie stevie i would love to oh my god he has some of the best songs stevie wonder
0: yeah, uh, all his
1: records growing up.
0: yeah, same here too. You know, I have a couple of them, you know, most of them, um, during the late 60s and 70s. And when he got into the 70s, he'd gotten, you know, more social conscience, and especially during 1980 when he was trying to get Congress to make Dr. King Day a national holiday. And his album, Hotter Than July, he dedicated that album to the late Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Now, it's been a struggle, you know, to get Stevie Wonder to and so many artists to make Dr. King Day a national holiday. And I once did an episode, you know, in songs in honor of Dr. King. So I don't know if you remember back in 1983 when President Reagan signed the bill and made Dr. King day a national holiday and you had to wait till three years later. But then at the same time, you had some other black, um, elected officials wanted to have it on the exact birthday. And then you got the Republicans saying you want to have no Negro holiday. What do we want a Negro holiday for? They don't need it. Gotta come to work. You know, that, that sort of thing. But you know, it's the same old story over and over again. It's like Doc Rivers says, you know, we gave y'all the love, we don't get the love back. And there was an ad poster billboard while I was walking during the pandemic. And this is from Def Jam Records. And it says, if you love our music, then why can't listen you listen to our voices when it comes to social issues? So when you mention Prince, Prince, and Stevie Wonder, they both gotten into social conscience LPs that had to affect the black community. Everything from racism to the ecology, to what has been happening with police brutality. And during the 80s, during my time, many artists had stood up and said, we're gonna be social consciousness, dealing with homeless, the AIDS epidemic, Africa famine and apartheid in South Africa up to now we're dealing with the death of George Floyd which sparked the Black Lives Matter movement and election everything has been put in place so that's why so many singers have spoken their voices but once again you have some other singers that are always talking about you know these things this is our country this is America saying our song. But then, you know, we want to hear about our country, our people, my people. You know, we want to hear our things, too.
1: Yeah, yeah. there's a song that I put out on on my recent music. (laughs) Definitely, I've always had a social conscience in a lot of my words. (laughs) Um, But yeah, there's this one song, Endless Night, it's called. And that was totally about the former guy and all the things of which you're speaking. And yeah, yeah, you know, it's funny during, right around when 9 11 happened, there was this whole backlash about, you know, music, art is not, music shouldn't be political. You know, but the the fact of the matter is that all art is political. That's it. It's just a fact.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's when folk music came in. You know, I grew up listening to Bob Dylan and then I got hooked to Joan Baez. So they were examples of part of folk music. So that's how you keep moving. And then when Curtis Mayfield came in, you know, Mm -hmm. he had some songs about that, too. So they were part of the 60s of the Civil Rights Movement. When you hear what's been happening in the front page, there, there, there they go. They write songs during the Civil Rights Movement. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep, yep, yep.
0: So while you're not performing, what is your leisure? What does Stephanie Zeskin does for fun?
1: I like... Camping. I mentioned I love going to music festivals and I enjoy swimming. That's my exercise of choice. I, well, probably I'm on the internet too much. <laughs> I like watching good movies. Um, and a lot of times I just like to be by myself listening to albums. I have a little turntable and I have some old albums. Just just in peace, <laughs> alone. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, you know, I ran a band, I was on a stage, I met so many people constantly when we toured, but the reality is I really just like solitude. <laughs> I like to be by myself.
0: Now, speaking of performing, I did see a couple of your videos on YouTube performing. You was performing at some live concert somewhere. Was it here in the NYC in the village? Because I saw the performance. I think it was like eight or ten minutes long. Was that somewhere in the village?
1: Oh, are you talking about the one with um, the Hook In and Don't Let Them? And uh, there's two backup singers, uh, uh, Long Hair and, and Kamari, the the African-American woman who passed away.
0: Yeah, that's the one.
1: Yeah. No, that was, uh, it was in Hoboken actually. It was a, it was a cable show called across the Hudson and they had us come in and do some songs and we had a live audience. That was a lot of fun.
0: Okay. So I was looking at your resume, um, over the weekend and I was like band manager. I didn't know that you were a band manager and an audio engineer and a music producer and songwriter you just you just said earlier. Was music your hobby growing up? Was music your hobby? Was it your calling?
1: Yes. A hundred percent. I when I headed out to California for college, um, my original major was oceanography. I went to UC San Diego, which has Scripps Institute of uh, Oceanography, which is huge, world-renowned, and that's what I was going to do, and immediately realized, nope, music major. So, yes, it's absolutely my calling in a way. I wish I never ended the band because when we were active, It was in a time period where what was popular was not what we were doing. Now, what we were doing is popular, especially on the circuit that I mentioned earlier, the lower tier music festival stuff. Um, but yeah, I always felt that way. Uh, I didn't work out, you know, but Hey. I once read an article in Rolling Stone magazine that one's chances of making it as a musician are the same as getting struck by lightning twice.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and you also was a playwright in a theater production somewhere on Off-Broadway. What was the name of the play that you wrote and produced? Was it Broadway or Off-Broadway?
1: It was... It premiered in an off Broadway Theater as part of the New York musical festival Next Link project. So I wrote this thing. I was I was a backup dancer in a band called Badass Beauty. Uh the lead vocalist was a powerhouse singer. And we became friends and she started telling me her story. She went to Berkeley and um She's a black woman, and she's got this huge voice, and she always wanted to sing rock music and not R&B, which is what everybody wanted her to sing at Berkeley. So she told me her life story and like the backstory for the songs that she wrote, and her band was, I was like, you know what? This is a musical. You should do, I'm gonna write a musical because You know, we're all getting old and like this want to be a rock star thing, but I think this musical could could be something. So I wrote it, and um, she and uh, her songwriting partner wrote most of the songs. I wrote two songs for the show and kind of rearranged one of their songs, but I wrote the script. And I submitted it to this musical festival with no idea what I was getting myself into. Turns out it was the biggest musical festival in the world with people submitting their shows over and over and never getting selected. And then they select 12 shows out of thousands of submissions. And they selected my show. So, you know, one would think festival. That means, oh, cool, you get to do your show. And... They pay for everything. No, it was more like a boot camp. Like, so you want to produce the musical? Okay, we'll give you the theater. We'll sell the tickets, but you got to produce it, which means raising the money, hiring the people, finding the director, everything. And once again, I did it myself. I raised the money, but we fell short, so we had to cut corners. So I actually ended up being one of the actors and the music director running the rehearsals, right? And yeah, it was tough. I wasn't the director, I hired someone for that. And and we premiered in an off-Broadway theater and um, Andre De Shields was actually in the audience because uh, the the guy who was playing bass in the show worked with him before and knew him and invited him and he came. So, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, that business is even harder than music. (laughs) And, um, you know, this particular production, there was a lot of personnel turmoil. Everybody from my department at CBS came to see it, (laughs) which was great. Um, So it happened, you know, it still has a Facebook page. Maybe, maybe... It was very intense for me. It was a lot of work. And uh, I was working at CBS at the time, too, you know, and it was very stressful. It was a lot. (laughs) But I'm proud of myself that it happened.
0: Well, you know, like the old saying, it's not an easy task. It takes a lot of hard work and it takes commitment. So you did the whole thing, you know hands down you you go girl hands down this is
1: a great story it was about this um, African American woman who um, again always wanted to sing rock music um but then the twist in the book was that she had there's like a good good an angel and a devil on her shoulder telling her what to do through the whole thing and then it dives even deeper into her um mental illness and personalities and you know past abuse you know we were right in the wave with the me too movement i mean it it could have really been i think there were good good reviews one of the reviews said could be the next big rock musical you know like we had reviews in major publications and um i mean the, the the star of the show basically blew it you know like she it was her moment and she blew it which was, it was a shame but but I did it anyway <laughs> you know I made it happen and I'm proud of myself so anyway she always wanted to sing rocks puts this band together you know there's all this chaos and craziness and like I played the character badass and badass is the one always like but then the other character beauty <laughs> like angel devil on her
0: shoulder. He's an interesting piece, yeah. well, we always kind of like, you know, like two sides, which one you prefer? would you rather be on the good side or would you rather be on the bad side? It's like saying, who would you working for? Would you work for God or you would work for the devil? You know, it's it's kind of you know, when I see so many musicians, you know, Most of them is kind of like wasted away getting into drugs and alcohol addiction, you know. It's not the same when you see them performing. And so many others had to go through some trials and tribulations, whether it's, you know, abuse or domestic violence and and things like that. And and just like you said, you know, it's not easy. It is not very easy. When I look at these biography movies...
1: (laughs) just pulled through, you know, like she really is quite an inspiration with her whole domestic violence. And I mean, she actually practiced Buddhism and I practiced the same kind of Buddhism that she practiced. She attributed her rising like the Phoenix out of the ashes of her relationship with that man to her Buddhist practice. So there are people who pull out of that, but you're right. A lot of people they just fall into self-destruction.
0: That is true. So true. All right. We're going to take another break and we'll come right back and we'll chat with more to wrap things up with Stephanie Seskin. We have some more questions to talk before we close out and I'll be right back as I continue with an interview with my friend and colleague, Ms. Stephanie Seskin. You're listening to the Black Soul Music Experience. Welcome back to the Black Soul Music Experience. I'm Sam Wilson Jr., and I'm here with my special guest, my friend and colleague, my former CBS co worker, Ms. Stephanie Seskin. Now, here's a couple of questions before we wrap things up. Now, before you made it big, in the media business, I looked at some other things that you were a tutor back then, and what grade were you tutoring in?
1: Um. Okay, I'm going to tell you a story about that after I answer your question. So I was tutoring junior high school and high school kids to take standardized tests because I always hated taking standardized tests. And so I was good at it. I helped them take the SAT and all that stuff. So can I tell you a funny thing that happened?
0: Sure. Go ahead.
1: Okay. So one night I was at the Brooklyn Bowl in Brooklyn to see a band. Oh, Carl Denson's Tiny Universe. Check him out. Carl Denson. Good stuff. Um, he's a flute player and a sax player. A great band. Anyway. The bartender looks at me and says, hey, do you play the flute? And I said, yes, I do. And I'm thinking, what? Maybe he, I don't know. I hadn't been playing in the band in a long And he goes, Josh Schwartz, Montclair, New Jersey, or wherever he lives. And I'm like, okay. He like, you were my SAT tutor. This was 10 years later. He was 17 when I tutored him. 10 years later, I'm at a bar in Brooklyn. And he remembered me. And this is, so I said to him, what are you doing tending bar? You were so smart. He says, well, you know, this is just a side gig. I actually play in a band. And then I said, oh, what band? And he told me the name of the band, Turquoise. And I just was floored because I'd seen them play like five times. But here's the thing, this is why he remembered me. And this is why the company paired me up with him in the first place, because he he played saxophone and his parents were concerned that he wasn't paying attention to his studies because he was more interested in music. And I'm a musician, so they put me with him. (laughs) We talked about music. And I actually remember telling the kid, look, you know, you could sh- go to college if you want, but if you want to play music, you should play music. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep.
0: Wow. That's, that's
1: the, wow. <laughs> he plays music for a living. The band broke up, but he's got his own thing going on, and that's what he does.
0: <laughs> wow. Very, that was... Very interesting. <laughs> now, um, I also see that you attended the new school. That was my late mother's alma mater um, where she had, had to take up a role in radiology because my late mother was x-ray tech at Jacobi Hospital. And uh, beside music, what was your major at the new school in Manhattan?
1: media studies and actually when I interviewed with Gail at CBS and I told her that and I told her what my what school I went to she hired me on the spot
0: wow that was very very interesting wow on these things that I didn't know but uh, it was nice that you shared that stuff with me now here's the next question that I always say you know you know like like the show where are they now so now that you have you know performed music you've done your writing for broadway you had your solo career where is stephanie seskin now and where and what is she doing now
1: Uh, i don't really want to answer that um i'm older and uh I've been putting my resume out there to find one job um, doing what I like, but I can't really figure it out. And meanwhile, I'm working in a grocery store <laughs> and uh, doing some freelance work for this company that actually works with the CBS Motor Department, and I'm trying to figure out what's next. Uh, there's this cover bands here in Delaware who, um, I checked them out. I, I sat in with them a couple of weeks ago and sang a tune and played the flute and they're looking for a new singer. And so I'm thinking about it.
0: Wow. Well, that's very nice of you then, you know, that we, you know, keep in touch with things cause you know, I always think about my my, my former CBS coworker John Salvio. He usually calls me like like every other week and saying, What's up with CBS? Uh, you know, what's going on? You know, I'm I'm like saying, you know, look, if, during the pandemic, you know, most of the people have been let go. Some had quit. Some had took an early retirement and some getting ready to form their own business. So that's what you're seeing now, you know. Everything has been changed, you know, since I've gotten vaccinated, I've been boosted, you know, and you know, when this thing came up, and you know, while I'm waiting for my DJ gig, in case you mean, I know, I do DJ gigs on the side as well. And I once worked at AM 1460 WVX Radio in New Rochelle, New York in Westchester County. So when I heard that CBS was sold to Westinghouse, Back in 1995, Westinghouse, uh, the makers of Westinghouse Appliances. You know the slogan, you can be sure if it's Westinghouse. And also, 1010 wins here in the NYC. And there's some other stations including KYW in Philly and WJZ in Baltimore. But I was watching something on my YouTube. You know, every time before I leave my apartment, You know, I always ask God to make sure they get me to my destination safely. And I I, I don't know if you remember back in the day when you have stations sign off with an inspirational message. They usually sign off. Sometimes they sign off at three. Sometimes they sign off at four. And at CBS, that was the only station, CBS 2 and the NYC, you know, when they had the late show and the late, late show, all the movies, they 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 sign off. At around five o'clock in the morning. That would be like early Saturday morning, early Sunday morning. You know what time they sign back on? Mm-hmm. One hour. They sign back on at six in the morning. So all of the other stations, they sign up at four. CBS two was the only one. They stayed up until five o'clock in the morning. Sign off at five o'clock. Sign back on at six AM in the morning. So that was kind of like that. So when I was working in the messenger center, we had to stay until, you know, by the time when everybody leaves for the holidays and things like that. (laughs) That's one thing, you know, I'll never forget. (laughs) Yep. It's just like that. All right. Well, we've answered all the questions, but here's something I always put in a bonus question. Now, I'm sure you heard about the late show, David Letterman's top 10, and Chris Rock movie's top five. Now, I'm doing my own version. We're gonna be doing the Black Soul Music Experience Top Ten Black artists from any genre of black music. You ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um number 10 who is your favorite uh black artist from any genre oh
1: my goodness so we're gonna go from 10 to one huh yep this is impossible (laughs) i can't do this uh let's say number 10 um it's not fair because if i say whitney houston she's too far down if i say queen latifah she's too far down (laughs) if i say (laughs) <laughs> Bernie Worrell <laughs> I do Bernie Worrell
0: Okay already we got Bernie Worrell L, Number 9 Who is your favorite at number 9
1: Oh this is too hard Sam I don't like this Um, I, 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 I'd rather go from 1 to 10 nine. Number 9 uh, Boy Marvin Gaye
0: Okay, Marvin Gaye at number nine. Who's at number eight?
1: <sighs> Who did I say was? Alice oh, in Burning World. Let's say Queen Latifah.
0: Okay, Queen Latifah. Alrighty, number seven. Uh,
1: number seven. Whew, this is hard. Uh can't say Stevie, I can't say Prince yeah it's terrible to put aretha at
0: seven but i'm just gonna put her there aretha okay aretha number seven number six
1: sly stone
0: all right sly and the family stone all right number five.
1: Oh shoot i forgot aaron neville neville brothers
0: oh yeah aaron neville
1: Alright, we'll put them there just because we're on five. Put
0: okay. Yeah, Aaron Neville and the Neville brothers, yes. righty Number four. Oh uh,
1: God. Uh okay. Well maybe I'll just slip Whitney Houston on in there. It's probably not the right position for her, but she was great.
0: Okay, you say Lauren Hill?
1: No, Whitney
0: oh whitney 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 yes whitney the princess of pop whitney 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 yeah i remember whitney when they were doing that vh1's 100 greatest moments of rock and roll on television when she did her version of the star spangle banner that was at number 59. i mean it was that night it was that night When all of our troops were in Iraq, uh, Operation Desert Storm. And that song, her version brought everyone to tears when she belted out that version. The next day, Arista Records pulled out that, that single. It was playing on BLS and all the other urban radio stations. So we got Whitney at number four. All right, number three. We're
1: gonna do Miles.
0: Miles Davis, yes, Miles, you know, Miles Davis, he broke ground. Um, you know, he, he brought in Fusion, Bebop, you know, and everything. And he was the jazz, the first jazz artist to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. When I, When I went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2018, you would not believe everyone was there. Let me tell you it is a wonderful experience to see it was on my bucket list for years i was asking my cousins when when we was doing the wilson dix reunion i said yo let's check out the rock and roll hall of fame museum i tell them everybody is there michael is there marvin is there you know and sister rosetta tharp is there Mahalia jackson you know everybody is there let's check out all the black music and stuff but then but by that time, we had to go back to we had to go back to South Carolina, you know that was my cousin's birthplace, Mary McLeod Bethune. So I had to go to South Carolina and see everything. So I said, you know, I went on my own, 2018, and then again, 2021, when they were doing Black Music Month. It was doing it in honor of Black Lives Matter, and also it was also Pride Month. And they were also showing the Super Bowl exhibit. All the performers who have performed at the Super Bowl. So, Miles, you're, you're there. All right. Who's at number three? Right. That was number three, wasn't it? It uh, was number four. Oh, shoot. Uh, I thought we were at three. Oh, so, so Miles is at three. Okay. Okay. All right. We're up to number two. Number two.
1: Prince.
0: All right, Prince number 2. Yes. <laughs> Royal badness, you know, like I said, um Tanya Dorm, she's a huge Prince fan, you know. Nobody can touch him, you know. He everything he turns turns into gold and many of his songs that he written weren't hits, it became hits for others, you know, like for example Nothing compares to you. He wrote the song. It wasn't a hit, but it became a hit for Sinead O'Connor. And another song, I Feel For You, he wrote the song. It wasn't a hit, but it became a hit for Shaka Khan. And speaking of Shaka Khan, she has been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for the class of 2023, finally. And, and yes, another song he wrote, Do Me Baby, it wasn't a hit, but it became a hit for Melissa Morgan. So when my stepfather bought that that single from Melissa Morgan, I thought Prince wrote the song for her. But like I said, he wrote the song. It wasn't a hit, so the producers for Melissa Morgan's debut LP, you gotta record it, and she said no, but she did it anyway, and the rest was history. Number one on Billboard's R&B Black Single Shots. And now, last but not least, what is number one?
1: Stevie Wonder.
0: Yes, Stevie, Stevie, Stevie. Yes. I mean, I I have a cat named Stevie. (laughs) Yeah, well, well, Stevie, you know, when I was watching the Grammy Awards on CBS back in the 70s, when it came on at 10 o'clock, late at night, I stayed up until 12. So when I saw Stevie Wonder won a Grammy, he won everything, album, record of the year, other editions. And when he won an American Music Award, an award of merit, I'm saying, like I said earlier, Stevie Wonder had done everything. He sung, he played drums, he played harmonica, he played, you know, other instruments. He arranged, he have created control, everything. So hands down. It's
1: impossible because black music goes back so far and there's so many artists and there's so many instrumentalists, Bernard Purdy, James James. It's just, it's impossible to do 10. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I agree. You know, it's hard to pick one, but but like I said, you know, Hands out to all the other musicians who never gotten credit or due, but, but they really deserve it. And, you know, it's, it's behind the scenes. You know, they've done all the work and everything. So, you know, like I said, you know, I, I got some albums for myself. My late mother had some albums of different things. I'll give you an example. Ray Charles had an album called Modern Sounds in country western music now as for me i've never listened to country music i never had but you know when i was in the car with my late grandfather we were listening to 1050 whn and i'm saying to myself why are we listening to 1050 WHN? we don't listen to country music and he would have said that country music was made by us black folk so when i went to the smithsonian Museum of African American History in DC, I went upstairs to the media department. I have re-examined my brain and I have saw everything. I've seen the banjo, which was made in Africa, West Africa, and the fiddle, and all the, the country singers that I knew. The only brother that I knew was Charlie Pride. But there was another artist that we didn't know and while I was watching entertainment tonight, Marin Morris was giving a shout out to some of the African American female country singers that didn't get their due. And Linda Martell was the other artist that didn't get credit, but we give a shout out to her. So there's some new African American country singers that on and everything is changing. So, you yeah, know,
1: Darius Rucker is doing that now. Mhm. Too. yes i bought his album because i heard one of the songs and i i was never a big fan of country either
0: wow so we have a
1: my voice sounds better in that genre than it did with
0: booty and the goldfish you know? yeah so well hands down to everything and you know we we had to pay homage to everyone well stephanie it is a pleasure to have you here on my podcast You know, it's been a long time coming when, you know, when I saw you on LinkedIn, I was like, man, Stephanie did everything. I didn't know that. So it's kind of like we have our day jobs, but we never show our time and talent. It's something that we do while we still have our day jobs. So, so like me, I'm a DJ. I do DJ gigs, you know, when I had my second job at WVOX until I was laid off because it was getting to be a 24-hour station. It was a daytime station. And now, since 2012, I've been on my own doing my DJ gigs, putting my ad in the paper, and now it's online. So while I was waiting for a DJ gig, just like you, you know, with this pandemic, this podcast came up where I said, let's give it a shot. Let's see where we can take it from there. And, you know, now I finally crushed the thing. And I said, now I got Stephanie. (laughs) Yes. So, Stephanie, once again, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for taking the time out of your daily time and being here on my podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
0: You're welcome. And ladies and gentlemen, make sure you download all the songs from Stephanie Seskin and Blue Number Nine. Visit iTunes.com, Spotify.com, or you can purchase a CD at Amazon.com. And ladies and gentlemen, if you want to hear this interview, please subscribe by going to anchor.fm/slash Samuel Wilson Jr./slash subscribe. And please support my podcast. Go to anchor.fm slash Samuel-Wilson Jr. slash support and please pass the word. Thank you for joining me as I close out this edition of the Black Soul Music Experience. Well, that's about it for this edition of the Black Soul Music Experience. I'm Sam Wilson Jr. Thank you for joining me and please tune in next week for an all new episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe by going to anchor.fm slash Samuel-Wilson Jr. slash subscribe. And please support my podcast by going to anchor.fm slash Samuel-Wilson Jr. slash support. You can also leave your message by going to anchor.fm Samuel Wilson Jr. Slash messages, and please leave your feedbacks and your comments and your replies by going to my Facebook homepage. Go to Facebook.com/slash/The Black Soul Music Experience Podcast, and you can also tweet me on Twitter at Sam Wilson Jr. sixty six. As always, parting, remember this: reach for the top, and your dreams will come true, and it can happen to you from all of us. Take care. God bless. Thanks for listening. Have a good week and please be safe.